Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to turn once again to Ephesians chapter 2. In just a moment, I'm going to read verse 11 through 20. Uh, We're beginning uh, today here at Springfield Road and over at South Wilson, a new series called Deep and Wide. It's a three-part series that will continue us through the month of July. And the focus is simply this. What does God-designed, Christ-centered community look like? like? Uh, What does God-designed, Christ-centered community look like? Now, when we came up with the title, Deep and Wide, a song came to my head. There is a fountain flowing deep and wide. Even though I just said that, don't think of that anymore. That's not what we're focusing on. I just can't seem to get that song out of my head. It's a VBS song. It's a kid's song. I sung it growing up. We want to look at what God-designed, Christ-centered community looks like, both here at Springfield Road, at South Wilson, at Valley Creek as a faith family, one church in two locations, but what it really looks like for every believer in every place, in all circumstances and in all contexts. Because it's absolutely clear from Scripture and absolutely clear from God's design that God has designed people, you and I, with the need for community. Uh, I don't know if any of you have stumbled upon a TV show called Alone. It's on the History Channel. Has anybody seen this show by chance? Oh boy, this is not going to go well. No, a few of you have. This show is a contestant, a reality show. And basically, Alone takes 10 contestants out into some remote wilderness and just drops them there, alone. Now, they're not in groups like Survivor or other survival shows. They are separated by at least two or three miles, and they leave them on the bank or in the mountains or on this little cove with camera equipment and then just leave them. The goal of the show for these 10 contestants is to stay there as long as possible. The winner is the one who stays out alone the longest. Now, the only interaction they'll have with people for that time is the medical team comes and checks on them every two weeks to make sure they haven't lost too much weight or hurt themselves. They're out there alone. I find the show absolutely fascinating. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I'm not a survivalist. I would not last three days alone, much less long periods of time. Usually the winners go for two, maybe even close to three months completely alone. They lose 30, 40% of their body weight because they're catching all their own food and they're dealing with bear and wolves and other animals. But the biggest impact that is shown because they have to film themselves is how much emotional wear and tear being alone has on them. I mean, they begin to go emotionally crazy. They start talking to themselves all day long, having conversations with themselves all day long. They miss their families, which we would understand. They begin singing songs so that they can at least hear music or hear noise. They begin talking to rocks. And begin forming people out of sticks. I mean, this is 
starting to feel a little bit lonesome and scary. Uh, they'll, they'll hear things. They'll hear people talking in the wind. They'll hear family members' voices in the rustling of the trees. Because being alone is absolutely unnatural. God has designed humans, us, every one of us, with this need for human companionship and this need for human connection so that when you put somebody out for a month or two or three completely alone, things begin to break down. And even when that medical team comes and checks them out, they're only allowed to stay with them for 10 minutes or so. And most of them will not hit the emergency call button to end their contest. Most of them will not say, I'm tapping out because of the wolves or the bear or the lack of food. Most of them will tap out because they are missing human interaction more than anything else by being alone. God has designed every single human with this need, with this desire, with this absolutely essential connection to other people. He's designed us to be in community. Now that can be with our families, it can be in our marriages, it can be in the parenting relationship, it can be in our friendships. It's certainly also in our faith family as a church, as a body of believers, but it's also in our town and in our neighborhoods. If anything, the pandemic, showed us how desperately we longed for community when all of that was stripped away. God's design for you and I are to be in communities that are both deep and wide and together. This morning, I want to talk a little bit about the width or the breadth of those needs in community. I want to play a little game just to kind of set the stage because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 20, the Apostle Paul is going to speak to a group of believers in a city that's very multicultural, multi-economic levels, lots of different languages, lots of different backgrounds. And he's going to share some things about the differences that exist in that community, past and present. But I thought we might find out a little bit about the differences here in our community in our faith family. And so we're gonna play a little game. Now, uh, the way it's gonna work is I'm gonna put up five categories with some options. And I'm gonna have you choose which option best describes you. And if you would be so inclined, I want you to stand when I call that option. And if you're not willing to stand, just raise your hand so that we can see uh, your vote and your participation. Let me try one as an example, and then we'll get into it really uh, more clear. Let's try this one. Number one, the kind of work either you're doing, you retired from, or you're training for, the kind of work. This is pretty much everybody that's young adult, middle adult, and most certainly uh, retired adults. If you see the categories here, healthcare, education, business, ag, or something else. If you were or are in the healthcare industry, would you stand or raise your hand? All right, it looks like we're gonna do the hands, okay? But let's, let's, that's, that's fine, that's fine. Y'all be comfortable here, that's fine. Okay, if you're in education, that would be my area. All right, a little bit of folks in education. How about those in various forms of business? Business, okay. How about those in agriculture? Raise your hand, okay. Or something else, you just picked something else. Okay, 
Now you get the feel, get the gist. That was kind of a warm-up. Now, I know we're not going to do the standing thing. I can tell that's happening. So really raise your hands high so that we can see you and we can have this uh, experience. Okay, places to live, where you would prefer to live, in the city, in the country, or in the suburbs. How many of you would be in the country? Whoa, my goodness, and a stand, okay. Vote double-handed, all right, we're getting, getting focused here. How many would be in the city? Okay, almost, uh, almost unanimous there. How about out in the suburbs, sort of in between? All right, very good. Okay, this next one's gonna be a little bit more, uh, I think, uh, split here. Mobile phone, mobile phone. This is like the dividing line of humanity right now. How many of you are Apple people? Oh man, how many of you are the second class citizens of America? Everybody else, okay. That, that's probably not what I should have said here about all others. Our family is a split family. Talk about how dividing lines those are. Okay, best vacation day. If you could do your best day, best vacation day on a beach, in the mountains, on the lake, or at the house. How many of you would go to the beach? You love the ocean. How many of you would go to the mountains? You love the cool weather. How many of you would like to be out on the lake? Any lake folks? How many of you would like to stay home and take a nap? All right. <laughs> best vacation day, a little sleep. Okay, this last one should be fun. Household chores. How many of you are the do them now people? How many of you are do them later? How many of you say make the kids do them? That's why we had children, right? To do the chores. Oh, man. You know, with the exception of the where to live, we were almost always in some differences, in some split of our faith family here. And certainly these are not major issues. There's nothing significantly wrong with being Apple or Android or beach or mountains. There's nothing that's gonna break our unity and our fellowship and our community based on household chores. But if you go a step deeper, there can be things in faith communities that start breaking down community. There can be things in faith communities that start breaking down fellowship. It can be things that are obviously different or things that are minor over majors. It can be economics, it can be ethnicity, it can be backgrounds, it can be things political. And in the God-designed, Christ-centered community, there's a hope for us in Christ that we would be together, that we would be certainly a wide community with lots of different perspectives and lots of different backgrounds and lots of different experiences, but that we would come together under Christ as God's Spirit leads. In Ephesians 2, Paul is dealing with a church that has two primary backgrounds and he's wanting to share with them how even though historically and ethnicity-wise and language-wise and the backgrounds they had, they could be separate because of all these things. But instead, he's encouraging them to be united as a wide community. Let me read for you verse 11 through 20 from Ephesians chapter 2. 
Therefore, Paul writes, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Two groups existed in that church, the former Jewish believers and the former Gentile believers. Folks who would be predominantly accustomed to knowing the Old Testament law and the Old Testament covenants and the Ten Commandments, who probably worshipped in synagogues previously, the Jews of old, the Hebrews of old, the people of Israel of old, and then the other group, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the ones who probably worshipped in temples to Zeus and Apollo, those that probably had no familiarity with anything of the Old Testament. They were outsiders. They were strangers. They were people who were less familiar with anything God had done in the world. And there you mix them together. You mix them in this faith family where both exist and both have access to God through Christ Jesus in one spirit and of one heart. Uh, this morning, if you want a map for the message, I'm going to quickly, quickly look at four things about this particular congregation and then say four things about our congregation, our faith family. Uh, first, I want you to know that there were these major shifts that took place in the lives of the Ephesian believers. While most would say there's both groups, Jew and Gentile background in the group, the vast majority were Gentiles. And he speaks as such in verse 11, he reminds them that at one time they were Gentiles in the flesh. They were Gentiles then, and they are Christian now. He tells them, remember what you were, but now you are in Christ. A Gentile certainly is that which is any non-Jewish person. Uh, let me ask you to do something for me. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a Gentile. 
every single one of us are. If you were Jewish by birth and Jewish by tradition, you probably wouldn't be here in a Christian congregation, a Christian denomination. We all are Gentiles for the most part. There certainly could be someone who had familiarity with the Jewish way of life. But in this congregation, they had all, for the most part, been Gentile before. But through Christ, they now have become Christian. Things had begun to change in their lives, begin to be refocused and reshaped. We know certainly that they had then no hope, but now they have hope. Verse 12, he says, remember at one time you were separated, separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. But now they are in Christ. And I just want to encourage every single one of you. This offer, this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, this message of the good news and the gospel, it's for all people, no matter what your background, no matter where you've been before. Certainly these Ephesians who had that Gentile past probably did some things that they were maybe uh, regretting or embarrassed about or having uh, second thoughts about worshiping in temples to other gods, doing things that would certainly be considered evil or immoral or idolatrous. But just because they were once then something else, through Christ we can be made new. We can be given new hope. They had at one time no hope in the world. We're without God, but now they're in Christ with the hope that is eternal. I love what he says in verse 13 when he describes the then they were far away, now they are brought near. He says in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once a long ways away, a good distance away, you were once who were on your own path, on your own journey, you were who were walking further and further away from God are now brought near by the blood of Jesus. Friends, aren't you thankful today that no matter how far anyone has gone, they are never outside the reach of Jesus Christ? No matter how far you think anyone has gone, the blood of Jesus is sufficient and is accomplishing that which is amazing that you think sometimes in our own humanity, we see someone who's gone this far away from God, this far into their own dealings, this far into their own sin and rebellion. They, no matter how far they've gone, have not reached the point by which God cannot save them. And God cannot draw them back. And through the blood of Jesus, but friends, let me say this to you as an encouragement to you. The blood of Jesus isn't just for kind of sinful people who only need a little saving because the reality is all of us are broken all of us are evil all of us have gone on to our own way the blood of Jesus is sufficient for the one who we might think is the the most far gone and for the one who only sins ever so little they were once really really far off but they have been brought near Fourth, he uses these words about what they were then and what they are now. He says, at one time you were strangers and you were aliens, 
But now you are citizens and saints and members of the household of God. One time you were strangers and aliens. Now you are citizens and saints. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And we're not talking about little green men from Mars here, friends. We're talking about people who are outside the covenants of God, outside the promise of God, outside of the family of God. But now you are fellow citizens, members of the household. What a change. Isn't this good news? Amen? Isn't this good news? That someone who felt distant, who felt off, who felt disconnected, felt separated, who felt as if God could never reach them, that they who were far off could be brought near and those who were strangers and aliens and outsiders and folks who did all the things that they thought forever would keep them apart from God, they've been brought into the faith family of God. And through that, they aren't just citizens, but they're members of the household, brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, because of Christ, Jesus, creating and forming a community, we who were once outsiders are now inside the family. We who were once strangers are now brothers and sisters in him. We who were once far off have been brought in. And that's what it means for Christ to be forming a new community. A Christ-centered community in Ephesus was being created. A Christ-centered community was being formed. A community that took the two and made them one. Who took the walls between them and tore them down so that they could be united. Verse 14, for Christ himself, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That, listen, this is great news. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. It's radical thinking. It's radical transformation. It's radical realigning of community. Friends, I want you to turn to the folks around you and say, you're my brother or you're my sister. Tell them, just say it to them. Depending on who's sitting next to you, you're my brother, you're my sister. No matter your biological birth, no matter your history, no matter your last name, no matter where you've been previously, through Jesus, a community is created. And it can have every variety and every variation included in one family. But from that comes some pretty critical things. From that community, from that newness, from that formation comes some pretty critical ways we live in community. Let me, let me challenge us for just a minute. Let me challenge us. And I know I've already gone about 30 minutes, but can you give me five more? Can I do five more? If the answer is no, I'm sorry, you don't have a choice in it. I'm going to take five more. Take five more. When a Christ-centered community is formed, here is what you can find. You can find a community that can be in unity without uniformity. What does that mean? It simply means this. We can be in unity of one mind, of one cord, in one household of faith without us being perfectly uniform. And I don't mean uniform like 
coat and tie, everybody looking the same, dressing the same. What I mean is there are going to be differences of opinion, differences of interpretation, differences in the way we believe about specific things. We can still be in unity even though we don't believe all the exact same things. We will major on the major and we will minor on the minors. That's how a community is formed. And what are the majors that we stand behind? That there is one true God and his son, Jesus Christ. That God has revealed himself as God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That God has given us his word that is true, inspired, inerrant, without error. That God has offered his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. That all who come to him by faith can believe and repent and be saved. That there is a place called heaven that God's people will dwell in. Are those the majors we agree on? Well, there's a lot of minors that we can set to the side. You know, we can be in unity without being in uniformity. We can be united without being unanimous. Let me say this, brothers and sisters. We can be united without being unanimous as Valley Creek. What's that, what's that old joke? Uh, what do you get when you put five Baptists in the room? Eight opinions. I've been in Baptist church ministry for 25 years. I think eight is actually too low. (laughs) You know, we can be in unity without being unanimous. Let let me just, one of my mentors in ministry said to me to this very early on, Shane, if you try to get everyone to agree with you all the time, you will fail every time. It's never gonna happen. We're never gonna be 100%. We're never going to be 100% unanimous on every single thing. Goodness, we can't be 100% on lights up, lights down, chairs wide, chairs thin. We can't be 100% unanimous on masks on, masks off. We couldn't be 100% unanimous on the songs we select or the way we do kids ministry or the way we serve in the community. We are not 100% unanimous on our staff structure or our two churches or one church in two locations. We're not 100% unanimous on the way we spend our budget or who we support in missions. We are not 100% unanimous on anything at Valley Creek. But we can still be united. We can still be united. Because you can be united without being unanimous. Let me give you a third one. And this is the last one I really want to focus on. A church, a Christ-centered community should be diverse without division. There is an old principle, an old principle that only birds of a feather flock together. That you got to have everybody who looks alike, thinks alike, acts alike together. And that's the only way it should be anyone who's outside of that little group should go elsewhere. There was actually a training that I received early in ministry that if you wanna grow a church, you need to figure out the exact model of the age, the demographic, the financial level, the education level, and only reach that group of people because birds of a feather will only flock together. And anybody outside of that, they won't be interested in your church, interested in your ministry, interested in what's going on. Do you know what I call that? Boring. I might even call it sinful. Because the body of Christ is very diverse. What does Revelation 4 say? And beyond and before the throne, there will be members of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, worshiping the throne and worshiping the Lamb. I mean, a 
Faith family should be the diversity of the community exists in. And when there is diversity, there is glory. In my opinion, there is variation. There is beauty. It should be diverse in age. Friends, we all don't want to be around people who are our same age. I don't like all the people who are my age. I particularly prefer to be around people who are younger than me and older than me and wiser than me and more adventurous and energetic. I mean, don't you love having kids and teenagers and adults and older adults? Don't you love having the full dimension of faith family together? Isn't that better? Age of every level. Well, what about different races and ethnicities? Isn't that better? Isn't that better? It's more of the picture of heaven. It's more of the picture of what's going to be in our eternity. It's more of the picture that God brings salvation to all people. There's not one race over another race. Goodness gracious, folks. We live in a world that wants to systematically create divisions. But I believe God in his glory wants to bring about diversity. Because his kingdom is diverse. His people are diverse. Man, wouldn't it be better if we got adjusted to what heaven might be like now instead of just hoping for it when we get there? You know, diversity is key. Diversity doesn't mean there's going to be divisions. And lastly, a Christ-centered community is formed by God with its foundation upon Jesus. And its foundation can't be on personal preferences, politics, or agendas. Now, I've waited to say this to the last moment. Can I just be your pastor friend for a moment? Anytime a faith family shifts its foundation to anything other than Christ Jesus, it is on very slippery ice. We all have things we prefer. I have things I prefer. You have things you prefer. We all have political opinions. I have them, you have them. We all might even have some things we think are more important than others, our agendas, our priorities, our convictions. But the minute a faith family starts focusing on the preferences and politics and agendas more than the foundation of Jesus Christ, I would dare say they are on a route to disaster. Because the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith is not a political opinion or a preference of music or even a style of ministry. The foundation of our faith is Christ Jesus and him crucified, resurrected, offering new life to all who believe. And anytime you make something else the priority and not that, you might as well take that cross down and put it in the garbage. And unfortunately, many, many are slipping into that path. But a Christ-centered community certainly can be in unity without being in uniformity. Can be united without being unanimous. Can be diverse without division. And must certainly, must always be based on the foundation of Christ. Not on personal opinions and politics. Friends, I want us to have a Christ-centered community here, don't you? And I think we do. But in order to keep that, we must remember the foundation that we come from. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I'm going to invite the praise team to join me. Just ask you, just a personal question, just one. 
are you doing all that you can to foster community and to be a part of a community? Not to be alone, not to be separated, not to be isolated, but to be a part of a community. Are you doing everything to be a part of that? Maybe this morning you would recognize there is something lacking in your heart and it's that you're not a part of a church in a, in a way that brings you as a community member, but kind of just in and out, time to time. Maybe this morning you would also say, I need to be in the community of faith. I need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. I need to come to believe in him as Lord and Savior for the very first time and join that community far off, brought near. But there also could be those that we just need to remember to set aside some of our preferences, some of our opinions, some of our ways of thinking in order to remain focused on the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus and him alone. I'm not sure what God maybe has spoken to you in this message, what he has said through his word. But if there is any decision, any response that needs to be made, we're going to sing a couple songs and I would invite you to respond appropriately. If you need to come to the altar, the altar is open. If you want someone to pray for you, with you, I'm here, be honored. You most certainly can pray where you are. But as we sing and as we worship, let's let the spirit of our God fill this place as we indwell in him and foster in greater community. Lord, we come to you now. And we just pray in this time of response that your spirit would be present. In Jesus' name. Amen.